we now turn to the time of our live stream where we will be looking together at God's word and hearing God's word as it is preached. I recently spent a day with my family at the beach. And while at the beach, I went out into the ocean and stood for a long time looking out. I felt in those moments the immense power of the waves and the tide. I had a sense standing there of the size of the ocean as I looked out, seeing nothing but ocean and sky all the way to the horizon. And I considered how little of the ocean a person can see from one place on this huge globe. And in that moment, at that moment, I felt small. Do you ever feel small? Perhaps it is in moments like mine, in the presence of God's creation, at the Grand Canyon, or before the Rocky Mountains, or perhaps you feel small, not because of the size of God's creation, but because of how you're treated by others. Being ignored, being unseen, being forgotten. And this has led you to feel small, and not only small, but perhaps even unimportant, insignificant. I wonder, have you ever felt small in your relationship with God? Did you know that God wants us to know that we are small? Before his greatness and splendor, we are to feel deeply our size, how little we are before our majestic God. God is the creator of the universe, the one who spoke stars and planets into existence by his word. And as we consider the creation, it is good for us, for our souls to sense God's grandeur and our own weakness. But while God wants us to feel small before his greatness, we are never to conclude that this reality means that God is too big and important to be bothered with us. No, God makes it clear. He is not too important or too busy to notice us. As Francis Schaeffer put it so well, with God, there are no little people. You may be small before the greatness of God, but you are not insignificant. And in fact, the Bible teaches that it is exactly because God is sovereignly ruling over this entire universe that we can know that he is aware of us and will care for us too. This is the theme of our passage this morning in God's word. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We return again this morning for the second of our studies in the Psalms. Next week, we will return to our regular study in Luke, in Luke chapter 10. But today, we will be considering Psalm 147 together, Psalm 147. And our main point, if you're taking notes, is this. God rules the universe and is attentive to his people's needs. God rules the universe. It is my prayer this morning that we would respond to our sovereign God with praise and trust. One more time, our main point is this. God rules the universe and is attentive to his people's needs. In terms of context in the book of Psalms, as a reminder, the book of Psalms is Israel's prayer book and song book. 
the book of Psalms teaches God's people how to relate to God through all of life's circumstances. Knowing who this God is, we know that he hears and answers the humble prayers of his people. So the Psalms teach us. What do we do if we are in distress? Well, with the psalmists, we cry out to God for help. What do we do if we are in need? Well, with the psalmists, we ask God to provide. And what do we do if we are well provided for? Well, with the psalmist, give thanks to God. And in every circumstance, with the psalmists, we praise God, for he is always worthy of all praise. Let me invite you to learn to pray by enrolling in the Psalms School of Prayer. Let's read Psalm 147 this morning. You can follow along with me as I read aloud. This is God's word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble and casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Now, as we begin to consider Psalm 147 together, notice with me that our psalm begins and ends just as Psalm 146 did. As we saw last time, Psalm 147 is in a group of the last five psalms in the book of Psalms. And this last group of psalms are unique as psalms of praise. They work as a conclusion to the book of Psalms as a whole. Each one begins and ends with the same refrain, Hallelujah, which is Hebrew for praise the Lord. Look at verse 1 with me, and then verse 20. It begins and ends with the same refrain, praise the Lord. And these psalms reach their culmination in Psalm 150 with the declaration, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It is clear from these psalms that all of the creation magnifies their creator, God. 
And the book of Psalms is climaxing in a crescendo of praise, a reminder that such worship is not only our earthly joy, but it will be too our heavenly joy for all eternity. But look at how the writer calls us to praise. Look at verse one. It's not just a command, but then a list of reasons why we should praise. Praise the Lord, verse one. Why? For it is good to sing praises to our God, as if we needed reasons to praise God. Praising our magnificent God is not something to be considered. It is the only right response to such a God as our God, once we see him clearly. And yet, the psalmist begins to list reasons for praising God. First, for it is pleasant. That is, it brings pleasure. Our praise is not only good, but it brings us pleasure. In other words, one of the reasons we praise God is that it is for our own joy. And God has designed it this way, that we would find our delight in him and him alone and find our joy in worshiping and praising him. As if that were not enough, more reasons. Secondly, and a song of praise is fitting. That is, it is right and appropriate to praise as God is worthy of it. It is only appropriate that we should worship this great God. It is the only fitting response to a God like our God. And you see, not only praise, which can be done through prayer, but also praise that can be done with singing. Look at verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. Not only are we to be praising our God, delighting in him through prayer and praise, but our hearts are to overflow in singing as well. Songs of thanksgiving in which we respond to his good gifts by thanking him. We are not only to be delighting in God himself, his beauty and his character and his works, but we are also to be delighting to sing to him songs of thanksgiving for his abundant kindness to us. The 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote down these thoughts from his treatise on religious affections. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed holy to excite and express religious affections or emotions. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. What Edwards lays out here is that God has so designed music to move us, to warm our hearts and awaken our affections to respond to the truth that we know in song. This is why what we sing is so important. And Christian, there is available to us a large catalog, not only of inspired songs here in the Psalms, but of Christian hymns as well. And good Christian hymn writers take rich biblical and theological truth and set it to suitable music. And this allows us to sing and even to memorize chewable capsules of truth that affect our hearts 
as we sing them to our God. We as pastors put much thought into what songs we use in worship. We work to be sure that the songs we sing are both biblically true and theologically rich. And then as we arrange our services, we are seeking to respond to the truths we see in God's word with appropriate songs that express that truth in song. Let me encourage you to make use of your bulletins and to make use of the songs we sing at First Baptist in your personal devotions and your family worship to make praising God and singing to God, not just a once a week church thing, but a regular part of your personal walk with the Lord. It's good for your soul to not only know the truth, but to be affected by the truth through singing. And singing is not only a way of being personally affected by the truth. It's also a way that we encourage each other. We see in this psalm that this command to praise God, to praise him with song, is plural. The psalmist is encouraging all of God's people to praise God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 gives this command. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That is, don't be controlled by uh, something like alcohol that takes away your ability to control yourself, but be controlled by the Spirit who's leading and guiding you. And what does being filled with the Spirit look like? Verse 19 of Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to make praising and thanking God through song a part of your personal walk with the Lord. But also realize that singing to one another is part of your corporate ministry as well. As we gather with God's people and simply sing, we are used by God to remind each other of truth and to encourage each other to respond rightly to our good God. Well, Psalm 147 commands us to praise God and to thank him through song. But it also encourages us to put our hope in God, to trust him. And the psalm writer takes time to reflect on the work of God in creation as proof that he will take care of his people. Look at verse 4. He, that is God, determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. I remember seeing an advertisement in a magazine once. For a small fee, you too could buy a star and name it. It's a hilarious idea. I'm not sure what you would do with it once you bought it. You can't go there. You can't get anywhere close to a giant ball of burning gas, even if you had the technology to launch a rocket there. And in actual fact, according to verse 4, the stars already have names. God has named them. And he has named them for they are his. Naming in the Bible is a demonstration of authority. God names his people. God has Adam named the animals, showing his delegated authority over the creatures. And parents name children. We can't name stars because we have no authority over them. God does. But notice that God is so attentive 
to his creation that even inanimate objects like stars, which are huge, but not alive, God gives to them names. And if God has names for each of his stars, these inanimate objects that he's created to show his greatness, know, Christian, that he knows your name as well. And if you are his, he has written your name in heaven. According to Isaiah, he has graven the names of his people on his very hands. There are, in fact, billions of stars. Scientists can only estimate the number of stars in the universe. They can only estimate the number of stars in our galaxy. Best guess, 250 to 500 billion stars in the Milky Way. It seems that the best efforts of science uh, are unable to actually count the number of stars, even just the ones in our own galaxy. And scientists estimate that there may be a hundred billion galaxies in our universe, but they don't know. This should make us feel small. And God has created the universe in such a way to show us clearly that he indeed is great. And the psalmist goes on. Look look as well at verse 5. Not only is our God sovereignly sustaining the stars and the galaxies, but... Verse 5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The universe displays our God's limitless power. He is indeed omnipotent, all-powerful. And not only this, his understanding, it says, is beyond measure. He is also infinite in knowledge and in wisdom and in understanding. You could not create an IQ test, an SAT or GRE test to measure or evaluate his knowledge. It is limitless. It is beyond finding out. And all knowledge that you and I possess, all truth that we come to know, it all comes from him. Look as well at verses 8 and 9. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. The psalmist turns from a reflection on the Lord's limitless power displayed in the universe to then consider his sovereignty here on the earth in our globe. And he considers the Lord's attentive care and provision for even the smallest of his creatures. Through the provision of rain and the growth of plants, the Lord sustains even the very smallest of his creatures, the beasts of the field, and even the young ravens that cry. Through this time of social distancing and quarantine, I have been working on a garden in my backyard. I've been learning about gardening. And in my foray into gardening, I have been dealing with pests. Pests have been getting into my garden and eating my peppers and my tomatoes. I've been like Farmer McGregor with Peter Rabbit, trying to get rid of those mangy pests. I was reminded this week that even through my garden, 
God has been providing for some of his little creatures. I haven't seen it that way. I'm stingy with my crops, but the Lord is generous, even with my crops, and provides tenderly for each of his little ones. This should teach us to follow the psalmist's example, to be using our sanctified imagination to look around at the creation around us, and to see God at work in every blade of grass, in the care of every little creature. We should be using such imagination to reason like the psalmist does. If God does this, if God provides for each little creature in this way, will he not so much more so take care of us? We read of this in our scripture reading this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does the same thing as the psalmist here. He considers God's care for his creation as proof that he sees his people and will care for their every need. As Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 10, that not one sparrow falls to the ground without the knowledge of the Heavenly Father. And then he says this, but... Do not be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. God, indeed, who is sovereign over the universe and who cares for his creation, is aware of our needs and will care for us. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This psalm may have been composed after the exile of Israel as God was regathering his people back to Jerusalem. We can read of the exile's return in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, seeing God's provision for his people and seeing the people return to their home and begin to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city wall. But God's provision for his people is not merely physical, but spiritual as well. This is more clear in the New Testament as the New Testament writers tell us that God is building up his people, causing them to grow spiritually in the church. Jesus promised, I will build my church. And he calls us to take part in this work of building up the body of Christ, helping the church, God's people, to grow through our words and our works. And not only is God building up his people, he's also, it says, gathering outcasts and healing the brokenhearted. Do you feel like an outcast this morning? Have you been rejected by men, by women, by those even that you love? Are you dealing with a broken heart? Have your dreams and your hopes for this world been dashed? Look at what it says that God does as he cares for his people who have been cast out and have been broken hearted. It's like Language of a mom or dad bandaging the wounds of a little child that comes running to the parents with that scraped knee. God is attentive like a nurse, binding up our wounds, binding up our broken hearts. You see, he's concerned with those spiritual wounds, the wounds of our soul. Look also at verse 6. He lifts up the humble. And look at verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, who hope in his steadfast love. You see, the Lord is great 
and before him we are small. But this does not mean that he is in any way unaware of or out of touch with the needs of his creatures. He hears the cries of the young ravens, and he feeds them. And he hears the cries of the humble who cry out to him, and he answers. Verse 6 points to realities of the gospel. Our creator God has rights over all of his creation, including you, friend, and me. And as the creator, he holds all of us accountable to him, to his perfect standard of righteousness. And while we were created to know him, to worship him, to serve him, we, all of us, have turned away from him, seeking to become our own kings and queens over his creation. This rebellion against our good God is what the Bible calls sin. And because God is good, he will punish wrongdoing just as a just judge should. He casts the wicked to the ground, it says. This metaphor is a description of God's punishment of sinners. But the gospel tells us that though we deserve God's eternal judgment, there is hope. God lifts up the humble, verse 6. He takes pleasure in those who fear him, who hope in his steadfast love, verse 11. For those who turn back to God, away from their sin in repentance, and turn to Christ with faith, trusting in him, God will lift them up. He will lift us up. God will restore us to a right relationship with him. And no longer will he relate to us as a just judge. No, he will become for us, through Christ, our Father. Jesus will become to us our Savior. And through Christ, we will find a home with God forever. If you are hearing this this morning for the first time, and you are not a Christian, know that today for you can be the day of salvation. If you will humble yourself, turn away from your sin, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, today can be a day in which everything becomes new and you can be reconciled to your creator God. The psalmist turns in verses 12 to 20 to consider God's provision for his people, God's provision for his people. And in this section, we consider God's provision for his people, both physically as well as spiritually. Look, first of all, at verses 12 through 15. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. After another reminder to praise God, as the beginning of each of the three stanzas begins with a call to praise God, the psalmist now turns to consider God's work in protecting his people in verse 13. He strengthens the bars of your gates. We tend to look to practical means for protection. Door locks or strong security passwords. Do you remember verse 10 says that God's delight is not in the strength of the horse? or the legs of a man. We tend to look to physical might to protect us, political leaders or military might, or even our own physical strength or our own intelligence to protect us. And yet, the psalmist says, our safety, our peace comes ultimately from God. And we are to look to him and him alone for such safety. 
You see as well, verse 14, that it is the Lord who provides our daily bread. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. This psalm is teaching the doctrine of divine providence, the doctrine of divine providence, that God provides abundantly for his people. Our God is sovereignly working at all times and in all ways for the good of his people, for the good of his children. Now, God's providence is a mystery, and he works in mysterious ways, as the hymn writer put it, his wonders to perform. And yet, because his understanding is limitless, and his power is immense, and his love for his people is steadfast, we can place ourselves confidently in his hands. Our God, who provides for the young ravens and blesses the children that are within us, he will use his wisdom and power to care for us as well. Are you, Christian, going through a season of confusing circumstances? Are you unsure of how God is at work in your life? It may be, friend, that God is putting you in a place where you feel your weakness, where you feel your smallness, so that you will turn to him and him alone for help. The uh, the 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon, in considering trials, said this in such a pithy way, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Our loving and sovereign God may bring heavy and difficult trials into our lives like a wave that rocks us. But he does this in his wisdom so that we would run to him for salvation, for help and for safety. Brothers and sisters, turn to God, trust him, hope in him and find him to be faithful to his every promise. He will be. The rest of the psalm considers God's word and God's commands. Look at verses 15 to 18. He, that is God, sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Now, what is his word here doing? His commands doing, verse 16. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. This is a description of the weather. God's word and his command causes snow to cover the earth like the clothing of wool for the sheep. He scatters frost like someone would throw ashes. This is what God does in creating snowstorms. He's scattering frost. Verse 17, he hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs or pieces of bread. Who can stand before his cold. The weather itself is to show us something of his might. And both his attentive care in creating the weather, but also what a small thing it is for God to do things like sending great snowstorms, which freeze men. Verse 18, he sends out his word And then he melts them. This is a description then of the spring and of the heat which comes and melts the snow and the ice. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. With poetic language, the psalm writer describes the Lord's sovereign work of ordaining the weather and ordaining the seasons. God is intimately involved with everything that goes on in his world. There was a philosophy in the 18th century called deism. 
It was a mix between philosophy and religion. It was a philosophy that God had wound up the universe like a clock. He had established its laws, and like a clock, he had wound it up and then let it go and left it alone. While God is the creator, deism says, he is not involved in his creation, but rather hands off. In other words, there is in deism a transcendent God who is greater than all, who's created all things, but he is not an imminent God who is present with his creation. But how different is the true God? No, it's clear from Psalm 147 that God is attentive to his creation. And even the weather occurs at his command, at his word, at his hand. We have canceled our weekly outdoor service this morning. Why? Well, because God spoke and a heat wave came upon Los Angeles. That's what this passage is saying. And yet the same God who commands the weather, who spoke the worlds into existence, he has spoken to us through his word. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. The God who created all things, who sustains all things, this God has spoken. And he has revealed himself to us through his word. And through his word, we can know him and enter into a relationship with him by faith. Friends, we ought to treasure God's word, knowing that it is nothing less than God speaking to us. In the Bible, God tells us truth about himself. He reveals himself to us. In the Bible, God tells us truth about ourselves, who we are, why we exist, what we're here on earth for. And it tells us the truth about the way of salvation revealed so clearly in the gospel message. One of the ways we respond to this truth is to put the Bible at the center of our lives and at the center of our churches. This is why the reading of scripture and the preaching of scripture is at the heart of our services. Through the Bible, God speaks to us. Through reading the Bible, God speaks to us. Through the preaching of God's word, God speaks to us. Through the preaching of the Bible, sinners are converted to salvation. And through the preaching of the Bible, God builds up his people, causing us to grow in faith and in holiness. While God provides for the physical needs of his people, our daily bread, he provides through his word for the spiritual needs of his people as well. This is how God feeds his people spiritually through his word. But friends, we know that God has done even more since Psalm 47 was written. Since that time, God has spoken to us even more clearly. As the book of Hebrews puts it, God has now spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the creator and sustainer of the universe, has entered the creation, has entered the stage of human history to reveal God to us. In Christ, we see most clearly what God is like. If you want to know God, look to Christ. In Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, we see the love of God displayed and we find through faith in him eternal salvation. Brothers and sisters, let us praise God for Christ. Let us praise God for God indeed has spoken to us through Christ and through the gospel message 
the way of salvation. Brothers and sisters, God rules the universe and he is attentive to his people's needs. Look to him with hope. Look to him with trust and put your faith in his steadfast love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you are sovereignly sustaining your creation. You are spinning galaxies and you are caring for us, your small creatures with tender love. We pray that we would put our faith in you as we trust you for our lives and as we trust you in Christ for our eternal life. We pray that you would sustain us to our faith until the day when we are able to see Christ face to face, to be with him and to praise him forever. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.